36 super packed agenda for you today criminal of purpose QRD on the movie pig some esoteric survivalism with regard to not doing um, some housekeeping sorts of items Corinthians and a whole big piece on the green aether grid endophysics no particular timeline here so we'll just see what happens but um, first order of business I got my first one-star review. Thank you, you fucking hollow, soulless scab of a human being who didn't purchase the book, who didn't read one fucking word, who is just some small-minded, small in general, diminutive-souled shitbag went out of your way, actually found the book on Amazon and went so far as to try to make your stain. So the good news is I'm at 80 reviews. After two years, ratings, reviews, they're not quite the same. So apparently Amazon in their absolutely finite wisdom algorithmic wisdom has figured out some way that they they calibrate you know they they weight your your rating less than they do a review they apparently weight older reviews differently than newer reviews i imagine that there's a little helpful button on there. I will admit that I never I I've left a few reviews for, um, particularly after realizing what independent authors are up against, and uh, if I actually read a book and I find it useful, then I'll leave a good review. If I think it's a piece of shit. I don't go to the guy's page on Amazon and, and leave some, ah, I think it's a three. Like I, I suppose that some people are just sort of um, bent this direction that they want to. I mean, for me, it's either a piece of shit or it's probably great. Um, 
And anyway, this rating system, all you really know for sure is that five stars, and if you take the time to actually write one or two sentences, um, there's more weight there. I think it's, it's 80 ratings and there's 30 reviews. So if, if you guys listening have not read King of Dogs, you can get signed copies on the website goldengoatguild.net or it's available at, I guess, anywhere where you buy books. Amazon is the main place. Of course, if you do buy it there, I think there's another bit of weight, and that would be the verified purchase. So Amazon knows if you buy it from them, presumably they give your rating and review more weight. Anyway, so if you have not done so, go buy the book, read it, be astonished, and kindly go over to your, you know, your purchases sec section, find the King of Dogs page, click leave a review, five stars, two sentences, or write out, write a whole review. If you, I don't, I think there's a limit of characters you can use, but it's, it's rather high. Um, I mean, it may be like a thousand words, but I would greatly appreciate that. I'd like to lock in my the the generally positive reviews ratings over there. I don't pay too much attention to the other ones. Good reads and audible and whatnot. Um, so that's that. In somewhat related fashion. Few folks have asked about the what I call the gorilla and other people have called the navigator um, image. A few folks have asked, you know, what all is going on there and I thought I would point out a few few bits of the symbolism Not necessarily to get you to purchase stickers, though there are stickers available. And uh, there will be, I think, a new shirt design involving the Gorilla slash Navigator. Um, hopefully by the fall, definitely by Christmas. So if you pull up, a, uh, you know, they're all over my Instagram. Um, again, they're on the website. A guy named Sosh, that's his handle on Instagram, helped me design it. Uh, I had all the elements, and I actually had uh, a rendering produced by a different artist who did not quite nail it, and Sosh really brought it into to life. And then he added, of course, the, um, the tarot component that he is famous for. And that is, it's sort of, it's, it's ideal 
but I like it without the tarot stuff as well. Um, so you'll notice, first of all, it's um, there's some mountain man qualities there. He's got a possible's bag. He's got his tomahawk. The possible's bag, if you happen to have read any of those Stephen King books involving Roland the Gunslinger, you'll find at some point that Roland's satchel, I, th I don't think he calls it a possible's pouch, but maybe he does. Mostly it's for his tobacco. And that is the case here, of course, with the gorilla. And he's got no pockets, so he needs a place to put his tobacco. But he can put a lot more in this bag. As with Roland's bag, it's kind of a magic bag. I would imagine there's probably a, a Winkler operator in there. There's probably a scapula of the ears, the dried, knurled ears of his enemies. Um, and tons of other stuff. It's one of these, it's like Mary Poppins, you know. It, um, it defies limits of space and time. All of these things. The next thing that you may notice are the arrows that have been shot into this character. They all come from his back. They have all entered his side or his back. And his direction, the way he is facing, is forward, of course, in a... he's falling. Leaping. Maybe, uh... being propelled forward. And he holds in his hand, before him, a sextant. This was a... navigational device used on ships and presumably elsewhere um, you may not notice however though it turned out all right I think even in the sticker certainly in the um, in the graphic the sextant is turned around um, normally it would be positioned in reverse and this is to imply that as he is falling through the very construct of reality the green aether grid which we'll get to uh, the cosmos the zodiac um, he is navigating inward thus all the slings and arrows have penetrated away from his view he's not turned around 
to face the petty the he's already faced all that and it's um yeah if necessary there's the tomahawk there's something much more powerful in the bag presumably 50 caliber hawking who knows um but that's not the real it's the confrontation with the self of course and um lastly uh we've you know i've poached a bit of the orthodox iconography insofar as he has the um the kind of typical halo around his head so we won't go into the absolute entirety of it i don't know that um, we need to but i thought i would take a minute to assure you that this is not an empty skull till valhall zero fucks sort of thing it's hopefully a bit deeper than that So I'll pivot over to this this movie called Pig, and we'll come back to some some less artsy uh, stuff here in a second. Nicolas Cage, small budget, appears to be probably produced, you know, within the COVID era. Pardon me, I'm not entirely sure. First time writer director. The producer and the director evidently were classmates at Yale. She's probably. Um, though she doesn't have a f- huge um, following on social media, I could see her potentially becoming a player in the in the future. It's it's not entirely clear if she was. The, the money route for this film or producers tend to have a couple of different generally speaking they're either going to be the money and they may or may not have written into their contract some sort of clause for artistic input or they're going to be more emphasized in the um, in the input making it happen and less just about showing up with a big check I do think she's probably um, the latter but it's it she I think I think she's a bit of both but I don't really know and um, Though it doesn't appear that either of these makers are from Portland. Portland is definitely a character in the film. I'm trying to 
trying to recall if there were any other big recognizable names other than Nick Cage. I don't think so. Um, totally unnecessary. Everyone else does very well. Nick Cage, probably one of the best performances of his career. Um, I do like Nick Cage quite a bit. And so, I actually pulled up this um, fairly decent summary so we can save some rambling time and get into it quickly. So the plot summary, a truffle hunter, Robin, Rob, Feld, Nicholas Cage lives in the Oregon wilderness with his beloved pig. The pet comes salient companion to Rob's loneliness helps him to seek buried truffle, a strong smelling underground fungus in the woods. The culinary delicacy is traded to a city's rich lad, Amir, in return for money and other necessities. Rob lives in the woods without a ripple until a couple kidnaps his pig. With the help of Amir, Rob embarks on a journey find his pig, and return back to his peace as soon as possible. However, the clues take him back to his hometown, Portland, the lands he avoided. Still, the journey, journey becomes inevitable due to the sudden loss. There's a few things to say about this film. I highly recommend the film. like to touch a bit on the Portland as character part. Nonetheless, my main takeaway is that this is a film extolling power of the Heideggerian concept, Sorge. As this little summary tells us, um, you know, we have our reluctant hero, we have the stakes. And we have, in a sense, you know, a journey into the underworld. Out of the woods, into the city, where... And I am going to spoil the shit out of this. So if you... If you haven't seen it, um, well, I'll try not to spoil everything. Okay. Because... It's unlikely that you've seen it. I know a few of you have, but... I won't spoil the shit out of it. Okay, so I'll rewind a bit. This is a film about... what is possible with human care. And, you know... In the sense that the fucking retarded concept of the overman, I don't know that it was entirely retarded when it was hatched by Nietzsche, but I think that the modern interpretation, the Bronze Age crowd, is is pretty retarded. I don't I don't think that Nietzsche was ultimately at odds with Christianity. I think Nietzsche himself was an absolute fucking spurg who lacked um, life experience 
I mean, I think he got laid once. I think he probably never traveled much. I don't know that he ever killed a man or even trained, you know? The, the whole thing is, is terribly flawed. Um, but it's also, you know, genius in places and, and worth consideration. But the place where these two Germanic uh, minds meet that, that is never, you know, it's, it's central to every problem that we face in modernity. Um, and it goes back to this old concept of don't separate your warriors from your scholars, in a sense. Because in, in some way, Sorge is the path to this, you know, the overman. And the overman is not, it's, it's just absolutely not the guy who amasses the most shit or who uh, is a leader of men. How many, how many, there are many, there are many, many leaders of men with vast power. Um, some of these men call themselves women now. Um, the details matter in this shit. And even though it appears there's a cyclical quality to what we're experiencing, without the uncomfortable and intentional insertion of uncertainism into your concept, into your concept, uh, you know, your faith in what's called history, I think you're just bound to be sort of a sort of a douchebag for most of your life. Um, I don't think Sorge is going to be accessible to you. So. Nick Cage is a, he's a chef and he was a great chef. Uh, a chef who for a moment in the history of within the, you know, film reality here of, of Pig. At a certain moment in Portland's history brought light into this place through his craft. And, you know, tragedy befell him, in which we won't necessarily go into because it's crucial to your experience of the film. And... And so this is why it's, he was sort of, you know, let's say expelled from the kingdom at a point. And this is why he's living in, in the woods. And um, as far as I know, there are actually no truffles um, in the woods surrounding Portland. It appears that he is sort of actually into the, into the coastal side of Portland, so to the west. Probably going out Highway 30 towards Astoria. You can come in that way and drop into the north side, northwest side of Portland, which is um, arguably one of the nicest. Um, this was where 
a bunch of stuff in Drugstore Cowboy was filmed. And when that was filmed, this area was kind of run down. I think that would have been like late 80s. Matt Dillon, um, I think William Burroughs shows up. Our old uh, Lemurian uh, Time War character. Sneaking in here once again. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure he has a little cameo in there. But if you watch that film, you'll see how run down those houses are. And now, all of those houses have been restored. They were huge, most of them. Um, I don't know, probably six bedrooms. And, you know, this is where your Silicon Valley escapees, they actually didn't even fix them up. Um, they were fixed up, I would say, the early 2000s, they were if you had money, you know, you could get in there and still buy essentially a mansion in the craftsman sort of, oh, I guess it's, most of them seem to be craftsman style mission. So the heart of the city is sort of very accessible from right there. I mean, if there's no traffic, you're you're into what what's called downtown in like two three minutes, maybe two minutes if you if you hit all the lights, maybe less depending on your definition of downtown. The relationship that emerges between this guy Amir who is the buyer of the Nick Cage characters truffles um, as you know when you're writing a film or a story or novel it is enough to know the backstory of every character and not, you don't have space or Sometimes you don't need much. Of course, you don't want to use cardboard cutout sorts of characters. This is novice level shit. One of the best, I suppose maybe a way to say it is that the economy in this film as would regard the characterization and the authenticity of these characters and their actions insofar as it drives the plot is is pretty masterful for a first-time director writer um, it's very simple you know it's not it's not like a detective story per se um, but the way that it holds together is so coherent and and all that is born out of actually the interiority of the Nick Cage character who I say again embodies this sort of sorge and of course it's I it, I would like to know but um 
it's at this point it's probably like you can just pick any city i was going to say i'd like to know if these writers and directors knew anything about the history of portland because this is whether it was a chef or whether it was a musician of some sort you know elliot smith whoever um or an athlete or dare i say a lawyer doctor an accountant a cop it's just as likely that these creators have just come to understand that this is par for the course in our times that the exceptional uh, you know the meritocracy has been entirely inverted and someone um, who would through his spirit through his gifts would bring about what in the film are there's some reminiscing um, there's some recounting of and it's done well there there in terms of Nick Cage's character Rob what he brought for this brief moment um, before it kind of all fell apart and went away and he self-exiled or, or was exiled depending on how we interpret it anyway we sort of got diverted the Amir character you have a central conflict with him this is what we're speaking of when these characters are developed just the right amount you know we don't need to know we don't need to fucking have five minute flashbacks um it's it's all i think it's all there may be a flashback or two in the film but it's nothing heavy-handed we don't need to go there because the past is of course prologue to to this moment now and the way these various lines intersect and ultimately collide is um, again masterful in its simplicity and its coherence the depth and it's useful to note in my opinion that it's the father concept that you know the difficulty the prodigal son um the measuring up all of these things are in none of, none of that is you know made explicit in the film we don't it, again it's completely unnecessary as unnecessary probably as it would be for these directors to have actually known something about the city of portland to to ascribe this potential history into the storyline because when we pull away all of the various layers and it is various uh, there is a uh, a, 
a veritable what is that stuff spanakopita no the dessert is the one i'm thinking of those little pastry layers you know what i'm talking about um in terms of the you know what is just broadly called the fucking woke um the symbol of money in the center of it has drawn from both sides right and left um you know spectrum many many layers and ultimately i i suppose that there may not be a, a center that that's sort of the point is um entertaining it at all you know this is what renounce the spectacle is all about um i love the memes i participate in those you know i laugh at them i love them and i agree that humor in many ways is the most powerful tool available you know right now i'm um, and probably a in all time it's just incredibly powerful and so i'm not saying to let go of this at all i'm just saying that in many ways uh i think we've said this before you know if you go back to early 90s with clinton you will hear stuff that would from both of them regarding immigration or gay marriage or what have you and it's all just right now it's still on youtube that's how absolutely absurd every all of this shit is um how hollow how completely transparent the whole business is so when i say layers and we have all of your you know like what are they right adjacent um pretty much everything to the left of quote our thing um this is all part of the problem you know you know this i know this and there is a lot of truth to the idea that um as i think there's like a this concept of the radical center you know it's this I, all of this shit just gets it, it inspires one to just load mags and wait right because it's this unnecessary sort of parsing so we won't stick we won't stay here too long don't worry we'll go back to higher ground and i'm not even sure how i got sucked in there myself now i've lost my train of thought but no i didn't the point is the father son the dilemmas that we have in our relationships that central relationship as a good friend of mine said like 25 years ago um every every relationship you have with your male friend is is a refraction a shard of your relationship with your father and this isn't you know this is true this isn't also this is also not something to get tremendously hung up on you know uh the super spurgy you know you need to be careful with this stuff for if this makes sense to you you've probably already parsed it but 
as has been pointed out many times, it was, it was the fault of men. Um, that's how we got here. You could just go back to the memes, I suppose. Strong men, bad times, or good times, or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Weak men, bad times. But it wasn't, it, it, if you look at that, it doesn't fall into a perfect generational. That's not how anything works. Arbitrarily pull 10, 10 year period out and say, well, were all of the children born on 1980 and then a whole new wave, you know, no new children were born in 1990. That's fucking absurd. It's nonetheless, though, you will hear this and, you know, very high, presumably or supposedly high level conversations these and i'm i'm guilty of it too i i shit on boomers mostly but um i'll shit on them all this is another area i think where the history doesn't serve at all um because it wasn't really the fault of this administration and it you know yeah all these things happen in big tranches of money of weaponry of property rights of intellectual property all sorts of things were moved uh and you can say well this happened in the 70s and it coincided with this or that but the fact is that You need to go at least granular enough to where it's the father and the son. And certainly each of those individual father-son, you know, couple uh, units um, are subject to the influences, the societal, financial, technological pressures but never in a more more now it's more uniform now due to the nature of these very pressures i mean that's what these pressures technological um egregoric demonic one world globalist monoculture it was all squeezing that way and i don't particularly even by you know, the grand racial uh, generalizations because it's not been my experience in at the granular, granular level that the nature of the, the father-son struggle is... Hmm. So it may be one of these, you know, one in the many sorts of things, because we do have, I think, uh, you find this in Blood Meridian, you know, the part, part where the Glanton gang, is, they're sort of exchanging, it's the judge, he's laying down the tail, right, of um, the traveler, the father, the son. If you've not read this, this makes no sense to you, but it's, don't worry, it, it made very little sense to most people who read it as well. But that's what this section is. 
is about at multiple levels you know in McCarthy's rendering he's in the meta sense uh, it's it's like meta on three different levels you know you have the judge story you have the fact that you're reading the story you have the Glanton gang reinterpreting the story you have them offering up other versions of the story and it all centers on the morality of ultimately the father in this case so while pig is <clears throat> uh, I'm not saying this is you know in the, even in the top hundred movies of all time but of recent memory uh, it's a damn good movie and it's very much worth your time a story like this that's hmm, how do we say well without diverting into an entire thing about the difference between the possibilities of a novel or the, the movie um, I, I suppose maybe I would say within the confines of film at present it's it's excellent and um the themes the deep deep themes are there and as well you know to close this out i would say they do a fairly good job of it, it is shot in Portland. Um, it, it's not like over the top. I don't know what it's like to watch, you know, to live in New York and watch any fucking given movie and say, oh, I know this place. But in this case, um, you know, I knew a lot of these places. Um, it was shot in the summer, I would guess, maybe, maybe early fall. And it, it's it's certainly not represented representative of the reality now. I wouldn't I wouldn't really even know what the reality is now, um, having not been there for exiled myself for uh, what three or four I forget years now. Nonetheless, though, uh, I think I think that you'll see what I mean. The setting is unique. It's and um, it's not an advertisement for the city so much as it's it's fair. It's like a pretty fair treatment, I think. It's so where we at forty two minutes already. Okay, a couple more things I'll try to hit in this first hour. Um, first one being this new blade design so I've had this let's say I had oh man it's probably again maybe three or four years ago I gave a blade that I had to my nephew who neglected it left it in the in the rain and I gave it to him because it was sort of a prototype and he wanted it and he deserved it and he loves it and that's good it came time though that 
I I met with my young nephew here not not too not too long ago, and I asked him to bring the blade so that I could make measurements, um, take photos, because there's something about this blade that was it's got a a strange provenance and um it's certainly one of a kind it's about 18 inches long pardon me very unique geometry the blade is exactly 10 inches in its present configuration. So what I foresee are some very um, important but somewhat minor alterations to, I think that refining the grind, making a, I think they call it like a double grind, where on a long blade you have near the hilt, um, something more useful for woodcraft and towards the end of a long blade you have a couple of things you know and this is where i think some of the some of the new thoughts will go into this and may i hope to produce it with who i'm not sure obviously i'm not going to do it by myself um, I don't think Winkler's the right guy, but probably a small um, maker of some sort of a very high repute and skill. So the other alterations, I think, and I may put a picture of this into the on Patreon for the you know for for trusted eyes. I want, in its current iteration, the point is definitely stabby enough to get the job done, but I would like to augment that a touch as well. I'd like to, you see this in a, there's a couple designs, um, I think Tracker Dan's version of the Elvia that he made for Ed Calderon, very intricate sort of point work where the point itself is a little bit wider it's not you know this constant taper from hilt to point it's more of a consistent width girth out into just a bit more weight at the end and i think that weight will help with tip speed I, foresee, I sort of envision this as the Camp 38 blade. If you'll recall, hopefully you've read Camp 38 by now, or the entirety of, well, good pieces anyway of this, this particular project will make no sense. But if you recall in Camp 38, there the rules for for dueling required I think 50 feet of cordage and a single blade or a, a single knife 
with a blade no more than 10 inches. So we go exactly to 10 inches. And uh, the rest of the knife is where things really get interesting because the handle is, in my, my current iteration, it's like eight inches. And it may be, since there's no overall length in the Camp 38 description, um, I think this is just fine. It's got what's called, or what has been called in some circles, a bird's beak sort of grip. You see it on, I think it's called the parang. It's maybe an Indonesian sort of tribal weapon. Most of them are, you know, just made out of like sheet metal that some some dudes bang together. You don't want to buy them. They they're not. Um, Unless you just want, you know, a crappy blade to beat up. But um, this is going to be much more technical and refined. And I think that the horse mat grip, this is a material that you don't see too often. Winkler does offer it, a few other places. For some reason, though, it's, um, it's very grippy. And uh, in fact, Winkler, when I met Mr. Winkler, Mr. Daniel Winkler, he informed me that um, he shies away from the horse mat. This is rubber. It's a rubbery like substance that is actually used in barns, um, stalls and such. One, because it's somewhat difficult to work with. The sculpting is presumably a little bit, you know, micarta is just like almost like wood you know you can get very precise it's very controllable rubber right not quite so easy to sculpt as well because it's so grippy um, for concealed applications mr. Winkler's thinking was that this could get this got hung up on clothing and such when you attempted it well I happen to carry an operator every day and um, he's right in, it sort of depends how you carry it though. So for this particular application though, I think that the horse mat is perfect. And um, Winkler's metal as well, I forget, it's like an 80 V, something um, purportedly you know affordable and um, soft enough to work with in the field uh, it's not stainless um, I'm I may very well just you know steal a bunch of stuff from Winkler and use that black oxide sort of finish I'm not sure you know some of the the metal the metallurgy I'll, I will probably have to I'm fairly certain however that you know something CPM SV35 it's not really necessary and I don't think it would be we'll have to see we'll have to see I'm not I'm not entirely sure on that the geometry, though, I'm very sure on.
So I've turned my attention to this recently, just getting into it. I'll keep you guys updated if you're interested. Um, yeah. The Camp 38 Limited Edition. Maybe not limited edition. Anyway, the other piece to hit on in this hour for your practical esoteric survivalism. Next hour, we will. Um, oh, I had two things to try and stuff in for this hour. Okay. Next hour is going to be action packed as well. So we've talked in previous episodes of the War Horse Podcast about, as as uh, one beloved subscriber listener called it, um, no plan is the plan. And this is sort of born out of the idea of not doing, which is a Castanadian idea that is born out of a number of esoteric religious practices, um, various meditative notions. And, uh, you know, I've applied this and I've encouraged you guys to check it out because, you know, going back to the central, Jung has and, and Campbell and even Freud, I mean, but, you know, and Eric von Neumann, I think there's even a, well, there's a whole book, you know, The Great Mother, but this has all been sort of filtered and refined over a hundred years or so into what, uh, New Age is not quite the right word, but it definitely bleeds over there, but just say contemporary psychological sorts of considerations have boiled a you know huge massive piece of <laughs> this conversation of being down into what they call the mother wound um which is it's not i'm not trying to denigrate it there is absolutely a mother wound that is passed from mother to daughter and i think in select and and nothing having nothing to do with the gay uh, but in select cases, this will be passed as well to sons. There's something more. It's it's very. This is a distinct. These are two separate um, concepts in terms of. I mean, if you will, where the wound is, the nature of it, what is it even a wound, what have you. Um, there's something though quasi analogous between, you know, the father, wound. And Peterson, you know, picks up on a lot of this stuff and he's translated it through Pinocchio into his concept of, you know, rescuing the father. Um, a notion that is so malleable and so open-ended as to, as to be, you know, nearly impossible um, I don't know if I want to say nearly impossible. It's It's marketable, and um, it's not that it's wrong, but it is wrong. 
sometimes. And it's not, I don't, I think that in the same way that, you know, the career of Jordan Peterson has found a home at the Daily Wire, you know, the thinking has sort of, had already sort of found a terminus probably somewhere prior even to 2016. But um, on the flip side, to his credit, you know, a lot, I think that it's a, it is an idea. This is where I, I would want to be somewhat careful. It's it's broad enough that you can find use in it. And to to let's say refine this a bit. The wound is not it's a pattern. Okay, it's it's a piece of it makes up the mold. Um, it's a very strong skein of of whatever ectoplasmic green jelly darkness you know makes up the fucking mold. It's it's a it's like the trunk of it in some sense, and um, it's a pattern. It's not an intentional thing. It's not a yeah, conscious thing. And that's why I say that the granularity of all of this is important because while these tectonic sorts of pressures uh, are applied over time to Texans, Oregonians, New Yorkers, whatever, in 1979 up until 1991, you know, even there arbitrarily, I, we know instinctively that these things do not hold to again, an arbitrary idea like the decade of the 90s, nor do they adhere to some still, you know, fairly uh, wide category like sons who embraced athletics and in the 90s and had fathers who served in the military and found themselves in firmly upper middle class, what have you, all of these technocratic overlays that have nothing to do with, sorry, the human heart, much less even just the human, just the human experience. These are all categories and lenses uh, of the other symbol, you know, commerce, what have you. And so the the pattern, this trunk, is let's say that Peterson is correct in the sense that you have to deal with your father. You don't deal with fathers in general. You need to deal with yourself. And of course, that is what Peterson's saying, right? Like, clean up your own room to rescue the the element, the constituent pieces of the multiplicity within that would be more geared towards honor, duty, responsibility, what have you. One of the reasons I think as a side note here, you know, Peterson himself is so emotional on the surface and so seemingly distraught is not because he is 
so um, is dealing with what I called, you know, I think in like episode six or seven, the live wire. Um, that's not the case, dude. The reason I think that aside from the obvious, you know, maybe some, some, uh, disappointments with his own offspring and maybe some benzo toxicity, you know, and just general pressures of having legitimately, it appears anyway, that his life was somewhat over, you know, upturned. But I think that his real issue is that the constraints that he chooses consistently to place upon himself, for whatever reasons, um, that they're arbitrary. They're, they have arisen not from what I would say something embodied or something of the spirit or you know, which all of those doors seem to have been opened for him between 2016 and now, and that the invitation was there, but to, you know, to not simply attend a church at this point, um, obviously an Orthodox church, given the relationships with Pajot and others, is... Um, is a complicated, I think, and nuanced, you know, one might say even a, a sophisticated self-flagellation. You throw in the performative aspect and the money, and I mean, you got, you got what you got. But anyway, the reason that he is sort of correct, right, in terms of the pattern is that you're ultimately, he's not necessarily saying that you need to, uh, like Jonah with the whale or what have you, go down to the depths and then actually extract your father. You're not going to do that. You're not going to go to your father and change your father's mind about nearly anything. Which may, um, contrary to a lot of, you know, your your... Southern Baptist sort of notions about paternalism or the paterfamilias in general may not actually be that great of a thing. There's nothing in um, the firmness of the father archetype that says he is above. You'd think it'd be the opposite in a healthy pattern, actually, that the father would be rather open to the innovations of the sun. And herein, you know, if there is a generality to make, um, I think that that's part of the major father wound. And I mean, this is classic, typical shit, right? Just pick any rock star and listen to, yeah, you know, my dad didn't want me to fuck around with this shit. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to leave and go to the city and just do this thing. And, you know, fast forward, the, the guy has a shit ton of talent and the father did pass on something like work ethic or talent or something and the guy's a success and then who knows, you know, if his father was a decent guy, he's probably proud of him the whole time. Uh, just 
and just this issue of the, the moving forward uh, between the father and the son but so that in its granularity there the moving forward is often associated with the erroneous notion of progress having nothing to do with reality uh, or spirituality or authentic meaning however you would choose to define those things um, you know it has to do with mostly getting a house as large or larger and you know these sorts of things um, which are you know in themselves it it's doesn't matter those are fine things and you may even be in a position you know to to help your family which is a good thing um and is a burden i think that it's a complicated sort of burden and an unnecessary one and so that's kind of what we're driving to in, in this theme right here but pulling it all back if we can to we'll just attribute it to Castaneda the Castanadian notion of you know not doing and we got on from this tangent because let's say this in meditative practices it's often the, the prescription to let your thoughts simply pass and not attach the conscious eye to those thoughts and you, this is very difficult you probably won't even do it you probably won't even fucking try it but if you do try it you will find that it's more difficult than you may not be able to even i mean i, I dirt <laughs> i get a little bit um myopic on these things because of specialized bubbles that i choose to live in and avoid you know the mass stupidity the ma if i can't so your experience of that meditative practice if it's really hard you know i'm not trying to pull you down even if it is hard, you can make advances fairly quickly if you understand the concept. The first step is to gain control of your central nervous system as detailed in this podcast many times and ways. And then the second step is to maintain an awareness on that, your baseline, this whatever state you are you are in and then to observe the passenger like thoughts careening from one side of the you know mental freeway to the other and there are some kind of visualization conceptual techniques that i can pass on that will help one is the visualization of like automotives um, for some reason if you if you can in the way that you can put on headphones and you can focus on the way the music was was engineered 
panned from left to right, what have you. Get yourself there towards your own thoughts so that you can sort of have a sense. Do they arise from the left side of this? Your eyes are closed. You're in this sort of virtual audio scape of your mind. Your thoughts are generally composed of words. And these words emanate. And you can... There's nothing wrong with... It, just allow it to be, right? So it's not going to be that thoughts emerge from all... all, And it's like a hive that all... If it's like a hive, okay, you need to do other stuff. You didn't get a hold of your central nervous system. You're probably stuffed in some terrible job doing terrible shit. You're probably soulless, empty creature um, about to go on a fucking shooting spree. So it's probably not the case. You will be able to, I think, isolate in this 360 degree sort of inner auditorium, if you will, like a grid point from which, even if it's just right or left, right, it's, it, that's good enough. Because if you can whittle it down that much and maintain this level of kind of dual consciousness, the flow, the erratic, organic nature of it and its connection to your heartbeat are going to become obvious. I think I've mentioned this before, that I have found that and I haven't really compared notes with anybody. It's just something I've arrived at. Um, so I'm pausing because I don't, I don't care. I will brag all day about um, quite a few things, but I don't necessarily want to brag about these things. One, because I don't really know what the baseline is. Um, but some of these things will say come easier to, to some people, I guess, than others. Um, and you, so if I give you this, you may be way behind in a sense, if we use that word, or way ahead. Again, I don't think those concepts apply. Um, because once you scratch that surface, you're not sure what you've got. But I think that this notion of a dual consciousness, we've talked about it before, you know, the multiplicities within... Uh, there's a guy, Boris Moraviev or something like that. You know, he's like an esoteric Christian that we may get into at some point. Uh, he, he locates or identifies sort of four levels of the eye. And if you've never read, I've made fun of this stuff before, this inner work sort of, there's always diagrams. Um, it's always... I suppose it's always, I say always because it's, it kind of emanates around, you know, the same guys. Uh, Moriev, Aspensky, Gurdjieff, a few others. Um, but four is fairly useful in my, you know, estimation. In terms of levels. Not necessarily in terms of some 
census of you know the multiplicities available to you you don't as i've kind of cautioned necessarily want to go down i think it's a fruitless path and it's probably for spurg somewhat dangerous but um to observe your thoughts passing the way that cars do if you are just sort of looking across uh you know a, a lazy small town intersection it's there's no light maybe there's not even a stop sign and cars do not constant they're not on any sort of timeline this is this can be your experience of the thoughts once you do some work you know and um configure that awareness this secondary awareness if you will the what the observer the witness i've called it simply witnessing and so these thoughts may be important they may be about work about your family your kids your marriage god what have you but you need but to gain some sort of like claiming the high ground you know to get the lay of the land um something like this is necessary in my opinion and you can come back to applying energy and worry and what care and what have you to all these various thoughts but to take five minutes out of your day listen to how cautiously i'm even suggesting this this is why it's so i mean this is really why we're so fucked up that we can't just talk about all the shit you can do with your head and have it be no big deal mostly because it's not actually a big deal mostly because we know that we won't fucking do it and if we do you know we, then we won't reflect on it or we won't do it consistently or what have you so if you've set up your life such that you have all that available to you so much the better side note absolutely none of this contradicts orthodoxy which for the subscriber will be our major theme i think in hour two uh, anyway so where does this fit in this fits in at the precise place where thanks Riker apologies for that I'm sure you're used to it as well the place where you have the confrontation with yourself this is an ongoing confrontation especially I mean if we're still sort of discussing what is and what is not possible and that's the level of acquaintance that we have to get into that trauma loop and to you'll hear it said in circles you know doing the work what have you um processing you know if you recall the trivium input processing output if you recall the warrior's way hunting make war derive wisdom something along these lines the hunter himself of course has his own micro version of this triad 
as does the warrior, as does the master, as what I like to call it. Castaneda again called it um, the man of knowledge, which is pretty cool too. Anywho, so you get to a point where, okay, so I've I've isolated this uh, very, you know, this point of aggra- aggravation. Um, your fussiness, your various ticks and patterns of avoidance have you've tracked them down. You've done the work of the detective, the hunter again, and now you prepare to make war with them. I I could hear some of you guys on the record uh, the the audio again no idea what episode but it's the flip side of war is peace we know and these two are they're in a they're in a harmony you know in the yin yangian sense uh, the one supplies the other vice versa and can't have the dark without the light right the most cliche thing that we could say on a podcast like this um, is nonetheless true. Ask any any warrior worth his salt. This is the place where that sort of is exercised. I remember when I had to do this this myself, and I remember I th- I think I've told this, but I will tell it again that it it's when it finally comes to a head, and um, but the fact of the matter is that you are you have prepared the ground to make the war happen. You are you are ready to now do combat. It's, but it's it's not that you're going to do combat in the sense you are you're no longer you the eye uh, the, the multiples of your eyes if you will whole arenas of your multiplicities uh, are now absolutely impotent it wouldn't it be nice and this is cliched in every fucking movie possible um that you could just punch the wall or, you know, slap your wife or kick the dog or shoot your fucking neighbor. And somehow this would actually, you know, of course we know this doesn't. But what does? Well, we know also it's not drinking. We know also it's not any of the avoidance patterns. So what do you actually do? You know, this is where, again, all of this type of... I hesitate, you know, but it's therapeutic, spiritual sort of steps. Is it's observe, it's under perennial attack by who? Well, who? Who? What entities would not want you to simply take these steps? Do the math. You've you've made a space where those entities are now observers, finally. And now you're in confrontation with yourself. This this version of the self that is the loop, 
that has resulted in probably a shit ton of avoidance behaviors and other destructive shit that you now need to fucking stare down. And this is like the paradoxical um, Zen Cohen quality of, of the piece here is you actually do nothing. You simply... And I've heard I've heard versions of this where you know kind of kooky versions where you kind of talk to your pain or you talk to your inner child and you let it go and I, I'm not denigrating that I mean maybe that does work for some people I've never met a dude who could look me in the eye and and tell me that he would do that I, I it just doesn't seem necessary maybe or I I kind of tend to believe that it's it's not appropriate nor realistic or anything else that it's kind of another avoidance pattern honestly so how do you in the way that you would prepare for a duel or a gunfight by probably practicing with a sword or gunfighting you prepare to do nothing by fucking doing nothing does this do we tie this together very simple, you know, <laughs> obvious passing point. The way you prepare for the confrontation, the, the show, the performance, or the, the big game of doing nothing is to practice doing nothing along the way. And how does this work? Why would this work? I think one way to say it would be that God forgives that God provides that ultimately the final the, the only you know maybe ultimate element of this experience is God's love and you're so fucking dumb and so am I and so turned around and full of stupid shit that and also probably you know constituted and um blemished from the fall and a few other things that we may not necessarily be immediately responsible for but that's doing nothing and on you I will I will supply you with this from my experience doing nothing really is doing nothing once you can sort of cordon those thoughts or uh, let's say they say canalize them, you know, to put them in a in a channel or a canal to sort of isolate and there's almost a buffer, if you will, some sort of mental bandwidth buffer between the frequency you're usually running on and the, the other one that's simply quiet. Once you get kind of good at that, you don't even have to work about, you know, work on sustaining that buffer or that canalization the channeling of it it will it will just do its own thing and I think that's in the same way you know um, you become unconsciously competent with a weapon here too in a spiritual war this principle applies so put that in your fucking pipe and smoke it, you 
all you other shitty podcasts out there uh, jerking off about the latest shit and your fucking projections about politics and your whatever. You didn't get what the Warhorse gave you in an hour and 20, approximately five minutes for free. So imagine what you're going to get when you cough up that five bucks and you take the ride on the Warhorse. Imagine. It's gonna be it's gonna be good. So we have this last I'm gonna roll it over into into yeah. So the subscribers are going to get a practical check-in when that means, you know, super, super quick rundown on all the faculties leading up to that confrontation, as well as um, how we step in from there into, you know, the green aether grid and how to get yourself a personal uh, green ring of Jesus fire. That's our two. And do some dry fire myself, feed the dogs, get a beverage, have me some snooze. Who knows? I may have to record tomorrow, but in any event, I really appreciate your your time, uh, your attention, most of all. I think that I feel pretty confident that paying attention to this as opposed to the latest Amazon dog shit uh, zog slop that you could have poured into your uh, gullet, so to speak, um, I think this is a good trade for you and me, certainly. So I appreciate that. Um, and if I can be of service to you, check out the website, what I'm currently able to provide, DM me with um, questions or what have you. And if you made it this far, go combat, please. Go combat that one-star review. I want to flood it with actually true reviews, even if your words aren't that great. They should be. I mean, again, I challenge you to tell any, and this is, no one's picked this up yet. The gauntlet has been thrown down for, oh, I think we're going on two years. Anybody who wants to challenge the assertion that King of Dogs is not the best novel of the past decade, um, you're welcome to come onto this podcast or I will go on yours and I will explain to you why you are wrong. Otherwise, yes, I would greatly appreciate the reviews. It's all I have. It's all any of us have at this point. It's just some, you know, minor appropriation of these tools leveraged against us. So that is it, ladies and gentlemen. Subscribers, I will be right back with you. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. 
and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing. If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing.
And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail, whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and in, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love.